Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today on the show, I had the absolute pleasure to sit down with AFL legend and one of the most modest and down-to-earth people that I've ever met, Mr. Sean Burgoyne. Just a quick note, this podcast is brought to you by Synergy IQ, a leading management consulting firm in Australia who specialize in helping leaders in corporate and government organizations navigate their way through the overwhelming complexities of change while enhancing their leadership capability. Check them out at synergyiq.com.au and also be sure to give this podcast a like, a subscribe and leave us a review. It absolutely helps more than you know. So back to Sean. Sean's career in the AFL speaks for itself. Playing 407 games of professional football, the fifth most ever in the history of the AFL and the first Indigenous player to have ever played 400 games. He's a four-time premiership player, winning three at Hawthorne Football Club and one at Port Adelaide Football Club. And since retiring at the end of 2021, he has transitioned into the media where he now finds himself on Channel 7 and Triple M commentating the AFL matches as well as working in multiple positions at Port Adelaide Football Club, such as Indigenous Liaison Officer, Football Service Officer, and Community Ambassador. I'd like to point out that whilst we speak a lot about football in this podcast, the chat is more about the inner mindset of a football player and the inner workings of an elite football club. Sean was recruited in 2009 to the Hawthorne Football Club, and the club, under the leadership of Alastair Clarkson, built a dynasty winning four premierships over eight years. Everything we talk about is about the high-performing culture that the club created, the meaning of living and breathing the values within a football context, and the absolute obsession with giving and receiving feedback. We also deep-dived into Sean's own mindset and how he grew from this pretty easygoing teenager who had just been drafted to becoming elite with his habits and behaviours, his application, his mental state, how he managed through the ups and downs of injury, how he kept himself in the best possible position to play week in and week out, and finally, how he managed to be a husband and father of four while playing at the highest level for 20 plus years. So I've been lucky enough to get to know Sean over the past six months as he's moved into the house right across the road from me, and we've shared a few gin and tonics in that time, but one thing that has struck out at me is that Sean's ability to stay humble modest and true to himself. Even through all the fame and glory of his career, it's very endearing and definitely the sign of a true leader. It was an absolute pleasure doing this podcast with Sean and I know you're going to love this chat as well. If you'd like to check out his profile, you can find it at Sean Burgoyne on LinkedIn or Instagram and feel free to connect with me too where you can find me at Daniel Franco on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook. We've also had some other amazing CEOs, leaders, and experts on the Creating Synergy podcast, and I'd welcome you to check them out on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at the Creating Synergy podcast on Spotify, Apple, and all the other podcast outlets. And remember to like and subscribe. It would really help us out tremendously. Thanks in advance. Cheers, guys. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. Um, my name is Daniel Franco and today I'm very excited to be sitting with 
the uh, the great man Sean Burgoyne. Welcome to the show, Sean. Nah, thanks, mate. And yeah, happy to join and and see what happens over the next bit of time. But yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, just to kick off. Um, it, this is a bit of a, a funny one for me, this podcast, because you and I have known each other because we live right next door to each other. So, so it's uh, it feels like we're just having another conversation, which is really I'm great. Sober this time, uh, yeah, exactly. No, actually, we should have gotten out a couple of couple of beers uh, or a few gin and tonics while we we're uh, we're sitting here. But to start off, I mean, not a bad career. Four time Premiership player, three times with Hawthorne, one with Port. 407 games, the fifth most ever in AFL history. First Indigenous player to ever have played over 400. All-Australian in 2006, four-time Indigenous um, All-Stars team, uh, AFL Dream Team, International Rules Team, and you captained that one year as well in 2007, which is awesome. Hawthorne Life member, inaugural member of the Indigenous Players Advisory Board, which you then went on to chair in 2016. You lead your own company like as well, ACS Indigenous, which is a very purpose-led company, uh, Channel 7 commentator. You're an author of your own autobiography, <laughs> which is sitting right here in front of me that you, uh, that you signed. And I remember that goal because it was against my, <laughs> my, the team that I buried. Um, Sorry. No, that's all good. It's all good. Uh, future AFL Hall of Famer as well, I think. Uh, beautiful uh, husband to the beautiful Amy. A father to four amazing kids, Kai, Percy, Lenny, and Nixie, and and then now you're uh, my next door neighbour. Like what a <laughs> what, what an amazing career! <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, yeah, there's a lot there, and to be honest, it's all gone in the blink of an eye. Yeah, you know, I've been in, I was on a, I was drafted end of 2000, first year in the AFL system 2001, and then it's gone in the blink of an eye. And now I'm retired, you know, with four kids planning life after footy. So yeah. Um, I've definitely enjoyed my career. I um, exceeded all my own personal expectations. Um, yeah, brilliant. But yeah, it, it's fun to actually look back now and and reminisce about my career. Look, you wanna? We'll start off with you known around the traps as probably one of the most humble and most honest and most modest players to have played the football game. Um, and like as we're sitting here in your home. There's no sort of fanfare. There's no premiership medals hanging from the walls. There's no Guernsey signed Guernseys or anything like that all over the house. It, which, like, I guess backs up my statement. And I, so I want to kick off. Outside of, you know, hard work, grit and determination that you have put into your career and training, do you believe that modesty and that humbleness has been a real contributor to your success? Um, well, probably a, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, I was always brought up to be humble respectful yeah. um you know treat others the way you want to be treated yeah. there's always someone out there doing it harder than you and you know that's the way i've lived my life to be honest so um and i haven't really thought about it too much that's just <laughs> the values that were instilled in me as a kid growing up going through and i was always taught i was probably lucky that when i first started playing footy back home in port lincoln for mully park that my uncles were my coaches and you know you showed respect respect to them yeah. because they're your elders and they and they mm-hmm. but they were able to teach footy the right way to play fair to play tough fair footy and, and mm. enjoy the game and respect your opponents so I've had good um, people around me my whole life going through and that's not to say everything's smooth sailing but when you're brought up with that, t- those type of morals and have good people who um, give you that type of advice as you grow up mm. um, hopefully it leads towards some success and it's definitely contributed absolutely do you do you believe that – well, 
sorry, in your in your book, you quoted. There's a picture of you and Amy in the book, right? That yeah. I really love, and and it says, when you taste success, it's important to give back and make the make it about the people who help you get there. Yeah, and and so. Is that something? Where did you learn that from? I mean, because that, from it, it, in its own right, okay. is like philosophy one hundred and one. Yeah, giving back and 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 not you know not get, not letting the ego get in the way yeah. and take over. Because I mean, you look at your career, we, we rattled off all those statistics before. It's pretty pretty understanding if you did want to have a little bit of a head wobble <laughs> about your career, right? No, it's it, extremely important to give back to the people who help you, support you, help you, guide you. To become the person, the player you are, um, because at the end of the day, it's, it's footy is a bit of a selfish sport in terms mm. of you've got to prepare, you've got to sacrifice. You can't go to birthday parties. You can, you know, you, mm. a lot of your friends go away during the year on the holidays. Yeah. You're playing footy, um, and you know, my wife, she, she stopped her dreams to become a you know a housewife because we had we've had four kids and she'd have to obviously give birth and yeah. all the things that go through that four kids so. Yeah. It's put a lot on hold to you know for me to be a successful footballer. So there's no doubt I wouldn't have the, the premierships and the success I had in my career without obviously Amy and the support of the kids and family and friends. So without those guys, you know, to keep me grounded and humble along the way, you, you wouldn't have success. Yeah. And, um, I'm very comfortable with giving my medallions to my kids and my wife and. Mm. Um, they've all got one each, so yeah, right. I'm happy with that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the key reasons why I was able to play footy for so long is the support they've given me. And I think most players recognise that when they have some success, they've, they've got a good family support behind them. 100%. We'll deep dive into the family stuff after, but ha- in, in regards to giving back, what does that look like? Like, you know, yes, you can give your medallions and, yeah. and that away, but... I mean, there is there is an element of sacrifice that you know even b- people back in in Lincoln days, yeah. the, the, the football club. Do you go back there and give back, and like, what what does that look like? Yeah, I try to. It's very hard to get back there. Obviously, I've been living in Melbourne for twelve Correct, years, yeah. and then. Um, but yeah, Christmas time, go back. Um, I know every year we we get our footy clothes, you know, and you get new sponsors. So I always give my football clothes away to family members who support me. Yeah. Um, and they love wearing, you know, the footy shorts, the yeah. Guernseys, jumpers, yeah. you know, singlets, shorts, socks, whatever it is, boots, runners. Give those to those people who supported me, um, and they wear those things with pride. Um, so that spending time with them, making time, um, you know, with my children, I. Miss some things throughout the year because of football, but try to get to all their sport, you know, all their school events, to yeah. show that I'm actually invested in, in what in what they're doing and what's important to my children and important to me. So mm. um, there's a lot there because you've got to you do spend a bit of time trying to um, cater for everyone, um, but then it's kind of like, well, I want to be there for my children as well. Yeah. Um, and then when I get back home, say hello to my, my cousins and my family who I've grown up with, and go back to the footy club and um, and just be normal again back there at home where and, and show my kids where I, where I grew up. Grew up, yeah. Because you guys get back to Port Lincoln. Right, Christmas time, yeah, we do. Yeah. We go back there, uh, a lot of fishing out in the national parks um, and it's quite hot so we're outdoors the whole time and, yeah, the kids love it, which because they enjoy it, it makes me want to go back there more. Mm. Is it still on the cards now? Because you've got, you got family homes up there and yeah. I know you're – your sister-in-law Erin just recently <laughs> sold her house. So where are you going to stay now? Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll find somewhere to stay. <laughs> but no, nah, the kids love going back there, That's being good. out, running the sand hills and the beach, you know, all those things, fishing. So we'll be there. Excellent. Looking back at your career, like you, you've talked, you're in, you know, 
in retirement from AFL football, but moved into Channel 7 roles and you're doing obviously a lot with the community. But looking back at your career, looking back at the Sean of 2001 to the Sean who ended his, well, his career ended in 2021, <laughs> yeah. 20 odd years later, is there anything you would change? Is there anything you look back on? And, and, and when you do look back at, at, at the two different people, you know, how, how, how much difference yeah, is there between the two? It's a funny one because if you, if you go back and change things, it could alter your, your path you're on. Absolutely. Things happen for a reason. You know, I had, I had a number of injuries, you know, I changed clubs and then, um, you know, I've lost grand finals, won grand finals. But if you change one thing, it may affect another. So yeah. uh, even, the, even the games where we've lost and I've had multiple surgeries and multiple injuries, um, I actually look back now with a bit of a smile mm. because it's part of the journey, part of the process, part of the learning curve. Yep. I was immature when I started. I matured, you know, went from a very skinny kid to a kid who could – and shy kid to a kid who could hold his own. So I, I wouldn't change anything. Other people may think differently about their own careers, but it all happens for a purpose. And I'm not I'm not into like conspiracies <laughs> yeah, or no. religious or anything like that. No. I just think it's just part of your, everyone's individual journey. And my journey was, yeah, one that went a bit longer than most players because most careers only go for about three to four years and mine went 21. So yeah. I can't complain too much. It's the scars that you, uh, that you wear along the way that make the person that you are now, isn't it really? Yeah, it is, exactly. Do you... Do you look back and think though, like back to two thousand and one, that in that when you first started playing in the AFL, do you to, to now? Where do you think the most growth has gone into? Is it your own personal mindset? Is it your own like? Is it just obviously experience? Yeah. There's a, it plays a huge part. But what do you think was your biggest gap back then when you first kicked off? Probably everything. Career? Yeah, professionalism. Yeah, hard work. You know. Um, you know, um, confidence. I think when you come into a footy club, you're exposed to all these different things and mm. footy clubs do as much as they can to try to make you a better person and then the player will follow. Mm. We've all got t- skills and talent and then you just work on the person and help them mature and you got walk into a footy club, you've got, you know, f- 40 players, you've got CEOs, GMs of footy, managers, they're all trying to help you. So you get a lot of good advice from a lot of people. Yeah. And for me, I was just growth in all areas. There was yeah. no area that was... Exponential um, growth. Yeah, there was no area that I think I needed to work on harder. Than that. It was everything, mm. like confidence, professionalism, skill level, um, punctuality. Everything was needed to be worked on, to be honest. And footy and the structure of a football club and the structure of a football program enabled me to grow in all these areas. And um, you have meetings, you know, leadership meetings, team meetings, and then have an open mind. You know, everyone's here to try to help you. There's Feedback be, is critical. Feedback, we, we, get, we get fed feedback every single day, every single yeah. session on what we're doing. So yeah. uh, for me personally, it was everything. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> brilliant. You, um, like having known you for some time now and obviously it comes in, it's shown in droves through the book as well that you're a loyal human being and, and loyalty is, is big and probably core to, to your values. When you, uh, when you did go through the process yeah. of changing club, how was that it was process for you? Extremely hard to yeah. be honest. Um, my dad played for Port Magpies, my older brother played for Port Magpies then into the power. Mm. Um, my wife, Amy, her, she's been involved with the Port Magpies footy club her entire life yeah. um, since I think the day she was born. Her dad's a former legend of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he's got Hall of Fame recently as well. Yeah, he was a Hall of, he's yeah. a Hall of Fame inductee. Beautiful. He's, the whole career was with the Magpies and Collingwood. Um, but, yeah, so Port Magpies and the Port Power were, were very much in our family. Yeah. But I think everything um, – there's always a there comes a time where things change and mm. the decision to leave was a very hard one. We just – Amy gave birth to our second son. So mm-hmm. we had Kai who was three, Percy six months. Um, we just bought our dream home here and we're like, we're getting ready to settle in for the next chapter of our lives, play footy and retire. And then I said, we're moving to Melbourne and changing clubs. That was a very difficult time. Yeah, not to mention a knee injury that could potentially... Knee. Yeah, I had a surgery on my knee. Not too sure how that was going to go, yeah. how long that, I was going to play again. But I decided to, well, try something different and it was going to be hard. Um, and we decided to go down that, that path. And if I didn't go down that path, I could have very easily stayed here and retired and then drifted off into the post-footy life, yeah. but we decided to try something new and different and, yeah, it was a, another adventure, to be mm. honest. That's the way we looked at it. Was the – like, you, in the in the book, you describe the, the leadership process of becoming Port's next captain was a bit of a – didn't go as well as you <laughs> as what you would have liked it to have gone and then and, and Mark Williams, the coach, at, your, your coach at Port, was uh, – Pretty keen, and and he's written about that in your book as well. <laughs> pretty keen for you to become the the captain. Was that the reason, or was it a whole bunch of things that sort of led to the the? the nah, there was a whole bunch of reasons. That was one of the reasons. Mm. Um, that was amongst three or four different yeah. reasons. Um, it just well, it wasn't one set thing. It was yeah. that my knee injury. My older brother was retiring. Yeah. Um, and just other things, team wasn't going too well. We were fracturing as a as a group, um, and, and I just come to the I just come to the realization that my time had come to the end at this club. Um, you know, I've get on very well with Mark, and um, when that decision was made, not for me not to be captain, and it was Dom. I was okay. I was like, well, you know, there's three or four of us who wanted to be captain. They go down the path of how they selected. Dom's captain, very good friend of mine. Drafted the same year, you know, yeah. comes through the ranks together and had the power as young juniors through the power and then played. So I couldn't have been more happier for him, to be honest, because you know, he had aspirations to be a captain as well and yeah. so did some other players. So once the decision was made, it was move on to the next thing. And um, I don't know, the kind of talk around it just didn't go away for a long time. Yeah. It was always in the media, always fans talking about it, which kind of rubbed me up the wrong way because mm. – I still wanted to win footy. I still wanted to be a part of a great team. I wanted Dom to be a really successful captain, but yeah. there's still negativity attached to it. So that kind of helped. That yeah. kind of added to the the situation of I think we need a new club. That along with my brother retiring, my knee surgery, knee injury. Yeah, so it was a it's eco, a whole ecosystem. Of, yeah, there's, there's, of things that there was were going a whole on group. Of, there was a whole group of issues that I just wanted to. Try something new, to be honest. And if worst case scenario happened, we were going to go to Melbourne, live for three years, and come back. And three years turned into twelve. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, but you, which would have been a strange, like you wouldn't have thought that would be possible, given where your knee was at and the injuries and everything, and potentially your age and all the above. Right yeah. when you first set up, um, set foot for. Well, we signed a three-year deal, or two-year, I think, with a one-year kicker. Um, and I spoke with. with with Clarko and I spoke with the medical team at Hawthorne and they basically said, like, the sky's the limit. You listen to what we say, do what we say in terms of physical and the mental preparation and then the, the, the physical preparation with your leg, what's required after the surgery to get um, back playing. If you do what we tell you, there's an opportunity to play. Yeah. 
past the three years and then we take it as it comes like after that um and i did exactly what they said and yeah it, 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 i had an open mind that it could be one year two years but we had a three-year contract and mm-hmm. it worked out to be 12 but a lot of that it's <laughs> unbelievable yeah, I know, a lot it's of more than what lance franklin like that you know if you think about when when lance franklin went to sydney yeah it was nine years and everyone's going oh nine years but you ended up being 12 and yeah, no one's so talked I think about I was that 27 when yeah, i left or whatever yeah. i was yeah it's amazing. um yeah, so but it's good management of, um, from their behalf. Yeah, they man- able to manage me and my expectations and what, what I wanted to get out of my career. And I was just all all about I want to have team success at Hawthorne. So you know the, the, that first year at Hawthorne was really tough, especially the first six months, rocking up on crutches. The club, I think, gave away two first-round draft picks, yeah. traded some players out, yeah. and you know, rocking. So on the cr- expectations yeah, were high. Their expectations were high, yeah. and then. Um, I rock up on crutches and then boys are like, well, is he even going to play? And then I go through pre-season and then I do play round one in the VFL because um, I just need a bit more match conditioning yeah. before I come into the AFL system and I broke my jaw. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I snapped it and I, had, so I was out for another four weeks. So I had to like put some uh, two plates and eight screws in there. So I'm, now I was like, oh, is this guy going to play? <laughs> He's just injury prone. Yeah, but it was a yeah. blessing. Even the broken jaw... Um, it was a blessing in disguise because it gave me another four weeks of running. Yeah, so I could okay. actually do – Get your fitness up. I had my surgery on like the Monday. By like the Wednesday, I was back at the club running with a swollen face, I think it was, to try get as much running in before I could yeah. – um, before I get back to the AFL level. So. But the setbacks though, you know, you, you start a new club, you want to <laughs> obviously make an impression – get in, meet people, and, and the best way to build a bond is by actually playing yeah, exactly. football games, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I moved over. Um, Amy stayed in Adelaide for the first yeah. probably four months, I think, because she had to pack up, the, pack up the house, get everything ready. I was in Melbourne training every day. I moved in with Jared Ruffhead for those couple of months, yeah. um, and I was building a bond. So he was taking me out um, to, to have lunch with the players, dinner with the players, train, show me the, how to drive around Melbourne. Oh, this is the shortcuts. So I kind of my bond grew with the players just because at a, it was pointless for Amy to move over with the kids before Christmas, get a place, and then we all come back to Adelaide for Christmas, and then yeah, we all go back. Yeah. It's too much back and forth. Yeah, so yeah. the plan was for her to stay in Adelaide, get things ready. Um, I'll go over, settle into the group, come back at Christmas, and then we all go over, and we did, and it was really good. So I was able to form those bonds, and then the next step is playing game day, Which, yeah. and then I was able to do that. I think from about round five onwards. Brilliant. So you you're one of the lucky ones, I guess, in in the sense that you um, you're fortunate actually to only have two coaches over your <laughs> career. I mean, there's players. You look at some of those lower ranked teams, and using Carlton as an example, yeah. the amount of coaches that they've gone through <laughs> in the past, you know, five ten years. You had two over twenty years. You know, one yeah. at Port and and one at Hawthorne, Mark Williams and Alistair Clarkson. I know Alistair was a big – he was a big part of the reason why, why you wanted to go over there as well. Yeah. Can you talk to me about the – I guess the influence that these two men had on your career um, from both a personal growth and success yeah, point of well, view? Yeah, it was very lucky to have two over my career. When I first met Choco, I was about 13 or 14. My old brother Peter drafted a port yeah. and I used to go – to the games and then go back to the club rooms and then I moved in with and I met Mark roughly then mm-hmm. um, and Mark knows Amy, my wife, who f- played with her father yeah, dad, and yeah. she, he's used to babysit Amy as a baby. So <laughs> yeah, you, you go a long way back and then I come on the scene when I'm, you know, 13, 14, meets me and then 
I started living with Peter, moved to the city, and then I'd he'd come and give me critique my games. He'd come and watch. I'd be playing, you know, for the Pop Magpies, and he'd come stand in the back of the pack and he'd rip into me. I'm not seeing <laughs> you do this, not seeing you do that. I was like, hey, you're losing my coach. Yeah, but he'd, wow. he'd give me so feedback. he saw the talent in you from yeah, pretty early on. For early on, so he was very hard on me, even when he wasn't even my coach. You know, it was like, yeah, wow. was like, Did that give you belief in yourself, or did that? It did because he's taken an interest in me. His yeah. brother Stephen was my coach actually yeah, at the okay. Magpies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got drafted to the Power, and then he was very hard on me because he knew I needed to work harder than what I was working. And then without his without his coaching on me, I probably wouldn't be the player I am because mm. it, it was very hard on me straight up because that's. How, that's how I was going to get the best out of myself. Mm. I also had Phil Walsh, Dean Bailey, um, I had Andrew Russell as a fitness coach, um, and that's a couple. Of, and then Clarko comes on board. So some very good coaches when I first got on board. And then Choco was able to do a lot for me in my first half of my career. And the second half, obviously, teamed up with Clarko, who had a lot of faith in me and mm. gave us a lot of support moving to Melbourne. And I went there because they had a good list at Hawthorne, but also Clarko's. First couple of years with me at, at Port Adelaide were really good because he was my line coach. We bonded off the field. He took me to places. We did some things to help grow me as a person. And that bond stayed with me. So when it was time to change clubs, I was like, well, first point is Clarko. Yeah. Brilliant. So let's talk about Clarko for a minute and the dynasty that he built. I mean, arguably one of the more successful teams in in recent years right and probably in the history of afl and vfl given the the rain that you guys went through <laughs> four premierships over i know you're only involved in three but the four since 2008 which, hey, yep. which destroyed me because i'm a geelong supporter so you beat us in that in that point but four premierships over the 16 years your your, your book describes that the secret to success at hawthorne was due to the culture and the values driven Yep. approach that that Hawthorne would uh, was everything was based on really can you elaborate what it felt like as a player being part of a club that just had that was values based and just had this amazing yeah. culture which which demanded high performance and respect really didn't it well I think we yeah it did and I, I think we acknowledged that um when I first got there in 2010 we underachieved in 2011 we um we lost in the prelim final to Collingwood where mm-hmm. we were up leading into the last quarter. And then 2012, we got into the granny and we lost to Sydney where mm-hmm. we were, um, I think we were up. And we, we, scored, we wasted some chances in the first quarter and Sydney came back and w- win a really tough game. And then, mm-hmm. then we kind of acknowledged that what do we need to do to get better? And I think the, the values that we'd come up with, the behaviours, the standards that we'd set across the board, if we want to achieve success, needs to start. Um, you know, off the field before we get on the field. And mm. we had players who were living and breathing and you had really good leaders, the Hodgie and so on, to, to lead from the front. And you kind of live and breathe your, the behaviours you set and then the, the behaviours and then the standard goes, you know, this. well, what is our behaviours? And you list them. Mm-hmm. And we fit, if we all individually live up to those behaviours to a, a certain standard, we will... We will achieve success yeah um, and it was quite you know it was quite exciting knowing you know we had the belief in each other that we all were living and breathing the trademarks and the values that we'd set and then the end result was game day we play a role and we win mm. um, but it starts well off the field when we sit down in those group meetings and team meetings in pre-season and you list what do we want to do like 
Yeah. Well, how do we do that? Well, it starts with behaviors and, you know. How did you hold yourselves accountable to those behaviors? Were they, like, were they part of every piece of language that yeah, was said in every team meeting? You always referred back to them, always referred back to them. Um, a lot of the things we did, yeah. yeah. We, we, you talk, you, you speak the language, you use the language that we all want to, we see on the wall, the trademark. So they do, those signs on the walls when you walk into footy club, they're not just signs on walls. You want to live and breathe it, mm-hmm. breathe it. So the language that's on there, you use that the way you speak about the game and your mm-hmm. game plan, your game style, and then the coaches were um, heavily invested. So they, a lot of our team reviews, game reviews, were based on trademarks and the behaviours we want to see. Yeah. Um, well, that's on the wall, but mm. this is here it is in the vision now. Look at these guys do this on the field. Yeah. So, and you rate your games as well based on the trademarks, so your own personal ratings. Oh, really? And, so, and okay. your coaches' ratings, and then you, you watch your vision of the, the behaviours and how we want to be seen. And then kind of like it just feeds and just snowballs like and then the younger players who are sitting on the outskirts want to be involved in it. So it becomes contagious and that's your, your culture you're building. Yeah, that's brilliant. You've said to me before, I remember it's probably over a couple of gyms one night, <laughs> you said to me. You said a few things. Uh, I remember you said, you go, and it stuck with me because the, the, the work that, you know, I work obviously the creating synergies, the podcast that I run, but – Synergy IQ is the company that I run as well, which is, you know, we work with, you know, as a management consulting firm, working with large corporate organizations and really helping them through large-scale change. We work with them on things like values and, and, and their strategy and their mission statements and all the above to, through to, you know, change of, of large-scale programs and whatnot. But one thing that you said to me, which was we had the ability, and I'm going to paraphrase this, it's not going to be yeah. word for word, but we had in, in the AFL system, we have the ability to be blunt because everything is about the better of the, the betterment of the team. Yeah. It, was, it was something along those lines, right? So this is the, the ability to give feedback that is so blunt, straight to the point. Obviously, yeah. yes, you live to your values and yes, you, you obviously say it with respect, and, and yeah. but it's always this constructive criticism. It's instant feedback, isn't it, that yeah. you get in the in the AFL system. It's just from, from game day, you're getting yeah. feedback during the game yeah. to training to it's constant feedback. And it, to me, is that is that what, to, to be high-performing, yeah. is it that feedback which makes you high-performing? Is that what you're... Yeah. What you're... You, you, well, you, you seek feedback when you're in an AFL team mm. in the system. You need feedback to improve every day. Yeah. Um, but is that a trait not only in AFL? Is that a trait that you would think would be anyone, no matter well, what they are? If you're in business... Well, I'm, still, I'm still learning business at yeah. the moment, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. But even but, just in life, if you think you're going to improve as, as a person in life, it's yeah. about receiving feedback, Well, right? you, you would, you'd need to see, receive it at yeah. some, some time yeah. um, and not all is going to be, you know, good feedback. Yeah. You need to have some constructive, you know, feedback as well to see Correct. how you can you improve. And in the AFL system, you, you're on a constant... You're on a constant path of improving every yeah. day. You want to improve every session. You want to improve every game. You want to improve every preseason. So you you do that by getting you know training and then getting feedback. How did I train? How did I play? Yeah. And we receive that. Um, and I think when it comes to game time, you need information straight away to fix right now in game. Whether it's a normal game, a final, or grand final, you need feedback instantly. Yeah. To to fix what you're doing wrong or to keep doing what you're doing right and there's no there's no time to talk nicely and to, well you try to put the message across nicely as possible sometimes it just needs to be said what you need to do like you know we need to win contested ball put your head over the ball or do whatever you need to do and you need that in in-game real-time feedback and if you don't get it you could end up losing so yeah. and I think when you give those feedbacks 
we spoke about the, the preseason camps and all those things before and meetings. That's where you build your bonds with your, your teammates and, you know, you grow tighter. So when someone – you do talk to your teammates game day or before the game or after the game, it's coming from a place of love and respect because you built those bonds. Yeah. And then you chat, catch up chat afterwards. Oh, yeah, you know, worries, no hard feelings. Yeah, no good. Oh, you, you know, you were right because yeah. we needed to do this or we needed that. Well, I wasn't doing this because I wasn't playing my role. Yeah. Um, or you give them a pat on the back, mate. You were awesome today because you, you executed everything we asked of you. Is there, is there a skill set in between? Because like, well, we know there is. There's a skill set in both giving feedback yeah. and receiving it. Yeah. Do you think that everyone in, in the AFL system is just just has the ability to be able to receive constructive feedback um, or is there – You've got to learn, definitely yeah. learn how to give and receive right. receive feedback. So we have, we've had sessions on that, yeah, how okay. to give feedback, you know, these, you know, tr- try to use your wording. This is in a controlled environment yeah. now when you're in team meeting rooms and stuff. So try to use these words, try to stay clear of this, make eye contact, yeah. don't use laughter as a way to get your point across because okay. it comes across as a joke. Um, yeah, okay. So you get yeah. feed – you get – you kind of have little sessions where, well, this is how you should speak to a player mm-hmm. and then this is how you receive the information. You should be doing this that yeah. way. You know, everything's for the betterment of you and betterment of the team. So we get information about how to do that um, and some players need it more than others. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, and then it's just basically you, you have a crack at it and then, you know, when you give your – when you're in those things, then you get feedback. Actually, how did that session go? Yeah. So then, you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. It's like constant. I said, well, you're getting constant feedback no matter what we're doing, and yeah. um, it's one of the reasons why you go to the club every day because you want to improve. Yeah. You want to leave the club every single day, improve when you, from the time you first walked in. I love it. Playing under people like Alistair Clarkson and and, and Luke Hodge and Sam Mitchell and some of you know Jordan Ruffhead and Lance Franklin and some of these amazing sort of players that you've played with. Was there anything from a feedback point of view? Did they ever, did they ever say anything that rocked you, or did they ever <laughs> no, say anything they, that, that that sort of you went, "Oh, hang on, there's something in that. I need to improve that." Oh, oh there definitely sometimes it hurts you when people say things that you're not doing well, or you're letting the team down in one aspect of the game. But yeah, it, it only stings for five seconds or four yeah. seconds, and you move on. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. So like, do you have to was, take uh, everything on board though? Do you, do oh, you, you can talk three things, and you can. That's where you. You have a discussion. Well, no, I don't actually believe that's right. Yeah, correct. Well, I, I think that's the point. Is if the, you, you have know, a healthy discussion, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah if, you know, Luke, someone like Luke Hodge comes to you and says, "Hey, Shawnee, you know, pull your head in in this space." Yeah, and you go, "Well, that's from your perception. I'm not really sure." Did you ever sort of? Oh, we had lots of conversations, yeah. like as a as a group in small groups. We always had breakaway groups where you sm- talk in smaller in smaller groups where some players feel a bit more comfortable and. You split, you split the groups up, older and younger, so it's not just all the yeah. same age group in one, yeah. um, in one little idea. group. But there was always discussions on when players didn't agree with what each other said, and it's a healthy discussion. And then you, um, you always then bring it in front of the group, oh, no, we had a disagreement over here. These, this guy thought that, that guy thought that. Yeah. And it actually creates to the actual the, – the environment that you're trying to create where players feel valued when they speak. And um, like we said, provided it's put across in the right way – um, it's all good and players have lots of discussions and sometimes they get heated too yeah. because it's coming from a place of passion um, and players want to improve and in the day we you know, all go and have a coffee afterwards or we all go for a beer after a game when we can and we mingle and, and hang out. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's good. It, it's very oh, – I think it just adds to the whole um, environment, to be honest, the yeah. behaviours you set because um, 
if, you, if you're not going to talk about things that are going to make you improve, well, then you're not what, what, what are you there for? Yeah, what are you there, there for? Exactly there right. to win. I think Mark Evans said it best, and you, is you know we're here to win premierships, mate. We're not here to win this next game. We're here to yeah, win well, premierships. Exactly right. Which is <laughs> you know, referring. I to have read I, the book. Referring yeah. to when I broke my jaw. Yes, um, correct. Yeah, when uh, I wanted to make an impact straight away. Yeah. And he was like, no, no, mate, just slow down. You're here for the long haul. You're here to win premierships, not to win the first one or two games of the year. We, yeah. we, see a, we have a long-term plan, um, which definitely helps. I love that. Um, and look, I'm gonna, I want to bring this back to business somewhat, given the audience of the podcast. But in, in regards to like leadership is just like poor leadership is rife within the you know, corporate world at the moment. There's, there's a lot of um, – there's a lot of a lot of managers in the world who are sort of demanding outcomes and demanding yep. um, you know these outputs so that you know times can be met, financials can be met, all the above, KPIs can be met, and and not really focusing in on on their leadership qualities and and the ability to bring people along for the ride. This yep. might sound like a pretty uh, bizarre question, <laughs> but in your opinion. Could you have been successful at Hawthorne or at Port if you didn't have great leadership behind you? No, I don't think you can. Mm. Good leadership, I think it starts from the top and mm. works its way down. Correct. When you've got good leaders who, you know, lead in the right way, you follow you follow their, their path. And I was very lucky. Clarko was probably a great example of it. He's the, the, the head figure, the leader. Mm-hmm. And his leadership, you know, he was – you know, obviously he's created a dynasty and regarded as one of the best coaches and ever coached the game. And it's interesting to see, like, he was never one to think, well, I'm above anything. Mm. So he would give the assistant coaches who uh, sit under Alistair a lot of control, a lot of a lot of power to run training, to run meetings, to try new things um, with his blessing. And pre-season training was, a, you know, and pre-season training was a great, um, learning because you see the assistant coaches taking trainings, taking meetings, and he's happy to watch that and delegate the leadership abilities to those guys. And then that flows down to the captain, who, you know, at the time Hodgie um, was a warrior leader, yeah. but he delegated all the time to the other leaders who are around him and younger players. Um, so they, they were never the ones to think, oh, I can do this all myself. Yeah. Um, they involved everyone, they delegated, and then you kind of create, you know, an environment where. You know, you want success. The leaders are creating an environment where they can lead, and we want success. But you want sustained success as well. And when you have your leaders leading in the right way, and becoming involved, and, and delegating, and be you know not a, not afraid of letting others help, it definitely helps. Oh, without <laughs> doubt. I think like it, it it's so um, it's really nice to hear actually because like. Business and sport worlds do are uh, entwined so beautifully, right? Because the way Alistair Clarkson is managing a football club or leading a football team, I should say, is really similar to the way a CEO, for example, yeah. would lead a would yeah. lead a business. CEO would lead a business, and it, he or she or they would then be able to uh, give that, I guess, uh, leadership. Or have those leadership expectations on their on the general managers or, or the other yeah. seniors senior levels to run their departments and whatnot. And it sounds like that's exactly yeah, the way well, Clarko would run the club. Well, he's managing he's managing people. To be honest, Correct. he's managing the coaches. Yeah, and the coaches are managing 
45 players. Yeah, you know, but he so, sets the ultimate direction, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. He said, yeah, this is the path. This is how I see us playing. This yeah. is how I this is how I want to get. This is the path. And yeah. well, you're the boss, mate. We'll follow yeah. you. Well, outside of... Uh, Outside of premierships, like is there another purpose for a football club? There's always oh, – footy clubs now have evolved yeah. massively over a number of years. Obviously, yeah. you're there to win win premierships as a group, but um, you also can help make change in the community. Yeah. It's, it's the number one sport yeah. in Australia. The, the the platform we have as an as a industry, but then platform players have – their own personal platforms to help create change in the you know to help better lives through footy. The clubs have all these different programs, community programs, where they're out there you know trying to make um, grassroots footy better, but also trying to improve lives and improve education. Mm. So yeah, the, the footy clubs now evolved massively. So and and you want to improve your players. You want players to come in and lead when they when they come in at some stage, and then lead better people for it as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Scenario time. I want to ask you a question. So you're a you're a veteran who's played 400 games. Not many of you. There's only five in total. Uh, and the new kid walks in, right? Yeah. New 18 year old kid, full of arrogance, rates himself. It's potentially the next best thing, you know. If he, you know, went number one in dra- in the draft or whatever it might be, top ten in the draft. Walks around, bit of an ego there. Thinks his shit doesn't stink. How does Sean Burgoyne and and Luke Hodge? <laughs> How do you guys manage that, no, that that kid? It happens every year. You've got to make yeah. list, list changes. So five players retire or, de- or get yeah. delisted or whatever and you get five new ones in. So it happens every year and, um, you know, you get not all players are the same. So yeah. um, I think it would be very boring if every player <laughs> came in the door was the same. So it was I, a robot, yeah. Yeah, it was a robot. So I like the fact that we get different players in or different people in and they're all different um, from different parts of Australia, from different walks of life and they come in and, Generally, you just see how they go. Like, you let them fit in. You know, it's very daunting for a young kid to come mm. into a footy club as an 18-year-old and you've got all these, you know, stars around them or, you know, people they've idolised. Yeah. So, so you kind of like um, – you can feel for them a bit and some mm. of them move states, live with their parents, then to a new state, new host home, two days after they were drafted. So, you know, there's a lot of change on these kids and you don't want to crush any form – any form of confidence or any self-belief they have. So yeah. you let them go um, yeah. and you, you chat with them, let's go out for dinner. Like boys will nor- normally go out for dinner with them, lunch with them, they settle in. Um, they have an induction process with the leadership group or, you know, the wellbeing team will induct them into the club. Um, and then you kind of just go from there and then you, these are the, the behaviours we want to see. Um, this is what we don't want to so see. So you call it from day one. These yeah, are the behaviours we expect. Yeah, you have the induction yeah. process. And the induction yeah, process is a really important process. Of like, this is what we stand for. These are how behaviours. Um, and very rarely do you get a kid who comes in who's against that and goes the opposite way. They come in and they, oh, no, I can, I want to live and breathe that too. I want success. Yeah. I want to have a 15-year career. I want to have the respect of my teammates. And they just normally just gel in straight away because they come in and they just want to be a part of the system. They want to play AFL. And they're, they're generally well, – not generally, but most of them are very smart kids as well. Yeah. Um, so that normally just the process that clubs have set up. I can only speak about the club that I was involved no, in. It, it's no, it's an important point of how important induction is, right? And we say the same thing in the business and corporate world. When someone is coming into a business or yeah. they're coming to a football club or whatever, whatever organisation it might be, 
the idea of setting someone up from success from the moment they walk in by setting expectations, yeah. by setting behaviors, creating those boundaries, creating yeah. that, you know, there's clear and, 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 and uh, well, clear visions of what we're actually trying to achieve. Yeah. It has to be from the yeah. first, from the day one you walk and in. And they're, the they're not individual goals. That's a group. This Correct. Is, this is the club that we've got. This is what we expect of our players and our staff. And, um, yeah, and you'll fit in perfectly um, with your footballing talent and your mm-hmm. hard work and you on your own little pathway, but this is what we want as a group. And they generally very enjoy the goal. Maybe COVID's pre- prevented it in the last bit of time, but normally they go away for a day or two, spend the night, you know, have dinner, play some golf or play some, you know, go for a, you know, swim down the beach, wherever it is, if it's warm, and they have the induction process where this yeah, is what it's great. about. And normally that's involved with the senior players as well, giving that to the younger players. I love it. How do you, going back to that young kid with arrogance, right? And let's say maybe it's not week one, maybe it's year two or year three where yeah. there's a bit of ego about, there's a bit of arrogance. Yeah. What does the leadership team do to give feedback in that space? Yeah, you get feedback all the time. Like yeah. you, so, so does it not get to that point? Or? Uh, it, it shouldn't get to that point okay. because you, you're always you're – always having feedback you're yeah. always chatting with other coaches yeah so if it does you normally generally have a meeting to yeah. be honest and um so generally yeah you just if something was to happen like that that generally you have a meeting with the leadership group yeah. and the player in and say well, well these are expectations that you're you're not you're not living up to these are the behaviors we want expectations mm. um and then yeah and you talk through that and then you say well you know we want to see better from you yeah i think it's the idea of not letting it get to that stage. Yeah, exactly. Really right. Making sure, yeah. you know. I think one thing we spoke about last time as well, like while we're on, on this subject, is like to actually play AFL. Like if we actually, if we think about it, Australian rules football, yes, it's only in Australia, but you're the top 500 players in the world, right? Like there is yeah. no one better in the world, in the universe for that fact, yeah. that can play AFL better than you. Right, so to to be selected, it's it's an amazing achievement, and you are deemed as elite. Then you walk into this football club, and you're inducted. You have this great onboarding process. The behaviours and, and expectations are set. You have this medical team behind you. You have this coaching team behind you. You have this leadership team behind you. You have the club behind you. Everyone wants you to succeed. Yeah, right. Like it, it's it's an amazing environment to walk into where success breeds success and everyone has this desire that you could be and reach the absolute potential that that you know that's why we drafted you into this club that's why we you know hired you into this organization so to speak how does how does it how do people not succeed then in that (laughs) world i think like because it just seems the perfect environment but yeah you see so many football players who fall away who never get through the system can never break into the you know into the main team yeah why is that? Like, oh, there's, oh, there's probably a, a number yeah, of reasons. Really. Oh, to be honest, some are good enough to get drafted and just aren't good enough to play AFL. Yeah, okay. um, that's that's the basic. That, that's the gap there. there. There's a gap there straight away. Um, there's a few fall into that bracket. Um, so some players come in and then they don't develop. Whether they have you know injuries and then their body can't get their body right, and then um, some players um, then fall away mentally as well. Mm. The dedication. Um, there's a whole range of things that um, can, can prevent, go wrong. That can yeah. go wrong. Um, to get on a list in the first place is very lucky, and you've, you've achieved success to, to even get on a list. Mm. Um, 
and playing a game is actually one game is you know success being I, I think is being successful in your career and then, but yeah that's a very hard the, the, the probably the, the thing is when you you, you you'll find out when you speak to players and get drafted it's actually the easy part of getting drafted for a player like it's still hard to get drafted yeah, but no in the terms of the process of being drafted playing sustained career whatever out of that, that process being drafted is the easiest part because then you come onto a list and you'll go from a, a relatively good player as a junior, then you come onto a senior AFL list and then you're down the bottom, so to speak, because you're normally skinnier. Yeah. You know, like there's other players in front of you, all those different areas, and you've got to work harder once you get on the list to actually get into get into the team yeah. and stay in the team. You've got to work harder at VFL level to get in. So, you know, if you're drafted as a, a key back, you know, you know there's normally, you know, they're the big guys. You've got to put on normally five, ten yeah, kilos correct. before you're considered to play. Strong um, enough to hold you. Strong, well, yeah. yeah, to play. On, if Come you, against Tom Hawkins. Tom, yeah, exactly. <laughs> play against Tom Hawkins or, or you know, or Lynch. Monster. Those guys are huge. Yeah. Or one, you know, and you got to put on weight. So, mm. that, yeah, there's 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 a lot of things. You talked about mental fitness in the, in that space. There's obviously a lot of time and effort that goes into the maintaining of of players and and their mental fitness. If you're if you're good enough to get drafted, then obviously you've trained hard enough to get to that point. Yeah. Where, where does the mental fitness fall away? Is it just the yeah? yeah. It's, it's it's hard. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure to be honest because I didn't fall away. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was, yeah. I was able to stay. Sustain. Yeah, sustain. Actually, do you ever do you ever, um, before, yeah, you know, answer that question? Then I'll ask you. It's hard to say. Like we have club psychologists at, at the club, and there's also. A, players have access to psychologists outside of the, the club rooms to talk about these things, to talk about their mental mental health. Are they, you know, I'm talking out of school because I don't really know so yeah, much yeah. about what they speak about because I've never had any mental health problems. Yeah. But they're on they're on deck. I would I speak to actually the sport the sports psychologist about um, um, you know setting achievable goals you know like, mm. um that's where I'd, I'd sit with the psychologist yeah. um in the past um because we always had one at hawthorne who was always there go, oh, let's have a chat let's have a coffee actually go downstairs in the cafe how are you going oh you know i'm fine you know um and i want to you know this want, is what i want to achieve this is what i want to achieve in the next five weeks mm. yeah no worries like do you think you're putting yourself under too much pressure i are they too actually too easy for you yeah um okay. But I became good friends with them, like yeah. the psychologist that it was just a chat. It was like talking to a friend and yeah. and they're there all the time. So I'm not too sure when a player starts to fall away, what they talk about, you know, how they go and those things. And um, if I ever did see a player who was struggling, like, you know, oh, how you going? Oh, I'm feeling playing hard to come to training or things. I was like, mate, go talk to this, go talk to, you know. So the, there was the help there. Which yeah, go really talk good. to, you know, the psychologist. Oh, well, they can help you. I can't help you. No, yeah. It's like. That's their. I'm yeah, sorry, I never correct. tried to actually. No point in me giving you advice. Yeah, no point in me giving you advice because I'm talking out of school, yeah. and I'd rather get have them talk with the expert and then help them. But yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one for some players. Do you ever look? You know, we you to, we just now said to get drafted's hard enough. To play your first games hard enough. To play a couple of seasons are hard enough. But then to play 400 games. Do you ever look back at your career and go like? From a percentage-wise, I am in the top point zero zero one percent to have ever played this many games. Like that, it's just mind-boggling at your achievement. Do you yeah. ever? Does well, it just kind of just worked out that way. Yeah, it's like I didn't. 
get to, I, I always thought I was good enough to get drafted. Yeah. Because I thought I was yeah, good. I thought I was just good enough to get drafted. And then um, you get onto a list. Um, and then I didn't play a game in my first year because I had osteitis pubis. Yeah. So I did a month or two of training and yeah. then I, my groins got sore, had some scans. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty bad, mate. You're out for the whole year. Like, yeah, mean? wow. So then, you know, my career didn't, my career could have ended before it started. Yeah, so you potentially could have played more games <laughs> too if you did that first year. And <laughs> yeah, I didn't play any games my first year. Um, yeah, so I could have. <laughs> um, but then, like, you know, the coach could have called me in that year and said, mate, you're just not seeing enough, you're injured. Yeah. And delisted me after the first year. And he actually did do that. He called me in another player in the um, end of our first year. And I had osteitis and he said, if you're injured again this year, I'm going to delist you. Yeah, um, so he gave me a rocket up, you know. Up yeah. my bum straight away, but then it was just kind of just I just well, I want to play one game next year because Choco said he's going to delist me. I want to play two games. Oh, you know, and then I just kind of just snowballed. And I didn't. There was never any goal of oh, I want to play four hundred games yeah. or anything like that. It just worked out that way. Yeah, brilliant. So, I mean, to play four hundred is an achievement, and it, and to get to that many games, you have to prepare well. Right, so yeah. I'd love to I'd love to deep dive into into your preparation, and you've had a couple of you know sort of significant injuries with your knee and your, yeah. there was your ankle yeah. and, and all the above. But is it true that you had honey sandwiches before every game? Is that is that yeah. is that is that elite preparation? Yeah, it is. It's as elite as it comes. <laughs> no, I came a lot. Um, I think as I got older, I kind of started going a bit. Oh well, I started become a bit obsessive as yeah. I got older yeah, about okay. the way things need to be done and um, the way I wanted to get things done and the way I wanted to prepare and I wanted I had to do all that in and around four kids who were getting yeah. sick every now and again <laughs> yeah. who had, you know, my wife and had things going on. So yeah. the honey sandwich worked its way in and, it's, <laughs> and it stuck and then like it was a part of my preparation and um, well, I couldn't do other things because of the kids or whatever. Yeah. But um, the honey sandwich was something that I became very obsessive about. What is what is some of the other things that were non-negotiable as preparation for oh, every, every uh, game or every year or every training or whatever it might be? What was something that you did religiously before you ever put the boots on? Um, oh, just my, my whole entire mindset. So I mm. used to prepare for the game on a Monday used to wake up and I used to do, I was, used to prepare for things. I knew I had to do certain things at a certain time throughout the week to tick the box in my head mentally to prepare. So on a yeah. Monday. So say the game's Saturday, on yeah. Monday you would. So on Monday I'd start preparing mentally yeah, for wow. what I need to do. I'd always have a, a greater bet on a Sunday night picturing what the next week looks like in terms of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then, the, and then mentally I'll break down the Monday, break down the Tuesday, by the Wednesday of the day off, I know what I'm doing, but I need to tick these boxes on Monday, go in, be a part of the group, but I need to tick these boxes for myself. Like, from a from a health and body point of view or just a training um, from all the everything? Everything. So from a health from a from a body point of view, check in with the doc, check in with the physio, get this rub, get that rub, stretch this muscle, get in the pool, do this, get in the ice bath, do that, go back and stretch this muscle, um, you know, go mm. home, um, you know. Um, try to eat meat at the start of the week and try to eat like like chicken or stir fries at the end of the week. Like So I already knew what I was going to eat and how I was going to – but I became a little bit obsessive with that stuff yeah. and then my sh- like my shoulders and rehab and then checking in with – I know I had to check in with the strength and conditioning coach this time, this time, this time and I know where my body should be 
what it feels like. And if it didn't feel right at this stage, what do I have to do to get it feeling this right? So I kind of obsessed about that stuff a little yeah. um, and it just kind of added to my preparation, to be honest. And mm. if training moved, well, I'm going straight into the fitness coach. Why are we moving training? I can't tick these boxes. And then <laughs> yeah. um, they used to allow me sometimes just to stay at the club just to prepare because they were going off-site to train and I was like, yeah. no, I don't want to go off-site to train. I need to train here to do these things. And then the boys would actually um, – in a group environment, it's not really good to do that, but yeah. then it kind of – in that era when we were having success, the boys knew that that's what mentally I needed to do to get myself ready. And, and I had the trust to actually of the fitness coach, well, you know, Sean's yeah. going to do it. Um, he's not just doing it just so as soon as we leave, he's going to go home and sit on the couch. So yeah. it, was, it was a bit of – Hodgie and the boys and Ruffy and all those guys, they always like give it to me every now and again. Like, <laughs> remember when you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that because you were, oh, I had to prepare. Um, but yeah, yeah wow. I think but just to have the awareness in your in yourself, right, yeah. is, is pretty critical that for me to get up and be the best that I can be, I yeah. need to do this or go through this process. Yeah, just so to have that awareness is is unbelievable. Yeah, so like, well, there, that, that's just kind of developed and that's, and I, saw results when I started doing it. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of going on my path and I'm doing these things. I'm getting good results, getting good results. So I was like, oh, well, okay, nice. And then kind of got to probably about my last, <clears throat> I think my last seven years, I was like, well, I stopped eating chocolate and lollies because I was like, well, yeah, wow. let's try to sacrifice something to, you know, to see, yeah. if, you know, to, to play, keep playing footy. I'll try to sacrifice this to... Um, to keep playing, so I didn't eat chocolate or any form of lollies for my last probably six or seven years when I played. Yeah, wow. so I'll just even in off season, even the off season. So. Wow, so al- alcohol never came into this? No, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy alcohol too much. Can't give up alcohol. No, exactly right. But I was just like, <laughs> well, I just thought, well, I'll try to give it up for a couple yeah. of days, and then it got to a point where I was like, no, I've come one year. We'll try to go two years. We'll yeah, try to go three years. Wow. But I just became I saw obsessed. you munching on chocolate before, didn't I? I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've started eating again since I've retired. That's good. I mean, the kids have been on to me. But the other thing is, like, if I'm not going to obsess about my career, well, no one else is. Just yeah, follow the system. True. So that's where I got to. I love that attitude. That's where I kind of got into my own headspace. How do you manage expectations that everyone else has on you? Like, like you know, you have a family of four kids. There's expectations yeah. sometimes. That, and like... I get it. If no one else is going to do it, then, you know, you've only got yourself to blame, right? But sometimes you come home after a long day, it's just easier to eat whatever the kids are eating or yeah. whatever's left over and, you yeah. know, you're tired. Could could you not afford that to happen? Is that- no, I, um, no, it's uh, – well, there's, we always had this thing in Hawthorne as well, seen and unseen. You yeah. know, we, we can see you doing this stuff um, – at the club when mm-hmm. we can see you, but what's the unseen stuff you, you're doing? Yeah. Are you doing to improve yourself in your way? And mm. I always took, you know, always live a pretty, you know, relaxed lifestyle, but I never went overboard with anything. So mm. the things I did away from the footy club was in still in preparing. Mm. Um, that's just one of those things. So, uh, Does it become habitual after a while? In, in that, terms of Like you just these habits that you build up over time that – the more and more you do it, the more and more it does become habit. The easier it then well, becomes. It, well, it just it's just routine, to be honest. Yeah. And then I, yeah, and then I try to work in, like you said before, Amy and the kids. You know, their schedules in as well. Um, you know, their school sport and all those things. And I still went along, but you yeah. know, if the preparation was like, oh, I've got to go watch my son play footy um, before my game, I was just taking deck chair 
sort of standing up for an hour and a half and getting rocking up to my game with sore feet and sore lower back because I'm sitting up with just take a deck chair and watch and you know still prepare while you're doing other things. You can still prepare for elite footy while you got your wife and kids yeah, you know, to do things with them. You're a testament to that. Was there anyone that just stood out above the rest from a training point of view or uh, time and effort into themselves and body? I think I think everyone I think when you come in, you see the young kids come in, they're forming their good habits, yeah. and they're forming their routines and they're forming, you know, what their preparation looks like. And then other players are in the middle of it and some players are stuck in their ways and I was in the end one where I was, you know, had my routine set. But it depends on your body shape, you know, the position you play, you know, are you a good runner, are you like an elite runner or are you a bad runner? And everyone's preparing for their own – within the whole – program of everything everyone's preparing their own their individual. own way yeah and it's, and it's actually good to see it's refreshing to to watch how different people go about yeah. it yeah sometimes if someone's doing something really well because the boys watch each other really closely at the club really really closely <laughs> <And> <laughs> they kidding. give each other a lot of shit yeah they give it. shit. but if someone's doing something well you might say oh well, what are you doing that for why yeah if you see results and they're like, yeah, actually i might try it so yeah it does help. learn from others did you ever see anyone that like was elite in everything that they did from training to meal prep to their lifestyle to the way they managed the kids, whatever it might be, elite in everything they did but just couldn't get the performances oh. on the field. And I guess I guess my question there is angered at the point of view from like there's talent and then there's hard work and then there's a combination of talent and hard work, right? Yeah. And can, can hard work get you there alone? No, hard work can't get you there alone. Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure about if I've seen a player do everything, not succeed. I'm mm. not sure. Uh, nothing's coming to my mind at the mm. moment. But hard work doesn't get everything done. Mm. You can work as hard. I think you also got to rely on others, mm. trust others. Um, or I know myself personally. I thought when I came to Hawthorne, I knew I, I just couldn't get it done by myself. Mm. I could work as hard as I want, but I needed to trust the physio. Yeah, he was going to work on my body daily and mm-hmm. in the right spots to get me over the line. I know the medical staff, the doctors. We're going to give me the right advice. Clarko had my best interest in in getting me to Hawthorne. Was going to play me in the right positions to play well. Yep. Um, you know, you got to trust and, and have faith in others to do their job as well. So, hard work is one, yes, but there's a, a whole heap of things that you need to, you know. Well, it's an ecosystem, isn't it? Yeah, you, you can perform purely because of the environment that you're exactly in. right. Well, in a yeah. footy club, you can't you can't have success or you can't do what you want to do by yourself you've got to, you need the help of others yeah. and you need to rely yeah. on others um to help you get you over the line and um that's why you play a team sport as well if not go play an individual sport mm. um which is one of the reasons why i love footy is you, you can rely on others yeah and but even then you look at individual sports they t- let's if we use tennis or golf yeah they still got trainers they still got people who get them. yeah well, they've they still got physios they've they, still got like yeah they've still got so those there's still a team in the background I mean, there is still a team in the background yes so Roger Federer um, didn't do it by himself. He no, did it with his team. Exactly. Well, they're the ones who help him get on the court. Mm. And then he, his dedication, training standards, what he does, and then his natural talent on top of all the things he's already doing helps him to succeed. Absolutely. I want to talk to you about the pressure of AFL on both a young person and just throughout your career. No doubt that, you know, the world is watching your every move, like especially as you move up in the ranks and you're obviously a high-profile high player. And there's a lot going on in the world in the new, like in the news at the moment with, you know, Jordan Ngoi and, yeah. and whatnot getting in a bit of trouble. 
how did you well how do you perceive this constant pressure on AFL footballers and do you think it's fair? Well, the pressure's only going up at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> um, the last couple of years. It's, like, it, it, it almost... Well, with social media. Oh, you, know, you almost... The more, the more footy shows that there are. Oh, correct. And you almost sit there and you go, like, I get it. You're getting paid, you know, so if, if you're lucky enough, you're getting paid hundreds of thousands and million dollars a year, right? Depending yeah. on, on how, how good you are. But sometimes you sit there and you go, shit, the amount of pressure that's on, on these people. On, yeah, there's a lot. There's, yeah. Um, I guess... I guess personally, I never really listened to the the, mm. the, the, the pressure or that was out, out there. Um, there was a lot always when I first went to Hawthorne and there was a lot of commentary, especially in Melbourne, about um, Hawthorne gave away too much for me and all these. Um, mm. But for myself personally, I used a little bit of it as motivation but never paid too much respect to it at all because if for me personally, if I ever thought anything, I'd go say, Clarko, what's wrong with me? Or do you think I need to do yeah. or or Hodgie, you got any feedback for me? Or, so you go straight Mitch? to the people who actually yeah. whose opinions actually matter. Who's a matter? Exactly yeah. right. Not not to some random yeah. guy who lives in a different state on a keyboard or a, a journalist who's getting paid to give his opinion or a sports. Yeah. You know, so like. Well, because it, it, it'd be frustrating seeing an article written that's simply not true. Yeah, well, that and happens, you would see that. That happens all the time. You see all it all the time. time. So, yeah. um, I think in the footy world, the people you, you're getting you're getting reviewed all the time. Mm. People from outside the footy club are making opinions on what's happening inside the footy club without actually knowing what's going on in there, and that's their job. Um, so I didn't really care, to but be pe- honest, what they do because it doesn't didn't affect me. I'd always go to talk to the the coaches, my line coach. I played in the back line in the last couple of years, Chris Newman. Am I slipping? Yeah. Am I doing? It? Tell me if right now, if, if you think, show yeah, me yeah. some examples of me doing bad things or good things. Let's have the conversation and be like. Straight from him and then straight to Clarko, what do you think? And then, you know, to the leadership group or whatever, one or two players here and there. And that just puts you at ease. And then if, if, if you have those conversations, with, especially with Clarko, and he's like, oh, you could be better, well, oh, sweet. I need the feedback I from need, you. I need that. And yeah. they're the opinions that matter within a footy club, not the external ones. But I think that, what's interesting, though, is that footballers are – you know, when we talk about receiving feedback, are constantly thriving on the feedback that yeah. they receive, and you know, sometimes to differentiate the type of feedback that they're getting, <laughs> whether it is external or internal, is that something that you're taught about? It's like, look, the only the only thing that actually matters is what's said inside um, these walls. No, you of the speak club. about it. You say yeah. it all the time, but the general fact is, players will will hear the outside feedback through their social media accounts, through family and friends. Mm. Um, they will hear it, and it can get you down. It right? can, and some players do let it get to them mm. a lot. You see, then you see a player take mental health leave. Like we see more and more over the last few years because mm. they, they, they don't they, they're learning how to deal with those pressures. Yeah. What's different now compared to when I first started is the access that fans have to players and people with it's through your social media, um, mm. and not not all of it's good. So learning how to deal with that, how do you deal with those pressures? Um, which players are all trying to grow their brands as individuals while they're in the system yeah. through their social media accounts, through the, the things they do, appearances. So then they're opening themselves up as well for for criticism and feedback from the general public. So it's a it's an interesting one. It's a moving beast. <laughs> I think what's really... Because I think, sorry, I think because the other thing, when you get feedback in a footy environment, in a yeah. football club, it's not like 
personal attacking feedback. Yeah. It's 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 personal because obviously it's, it's, it's constructive. Yeah, right? it's trying yeah. to make it better. But Correct. the difference is when you get the other feedback from social media or people from outside, it's like targeted, and it's like yeah, um, it's almost hurtful. In it's a way. very hurtful, and yeah. it's some players have struggled to, because most players you meet them, they're very nice people, mm. <laughs> um, and they receive well, that. They're just playing that. a game, right? Like, yeah. So but, <laughs> I think that's what we got. I think that's what we actually need. Yeah. To so that's this is a game. So clubs are trying to help their players at the moment with these days with dealing with that stuff and ways around it. Yeah. The other what I find really interesting is that the pressure not only from like external media and all, all the above, but the pressure to perform. Every game, yeah, it's right. Like that's huge because you think about if in the corporate world, you can yeah. go away and you could sneak a day where you didn't really do much, right? Where you, you can't do that no. in the AFL. Well, you're judged. Your whole week's judged for two hours every Saturday, mm. Sunday, or Friday night, whatever you play. So you're judged then. Um, I actually game day was the easiest day for me. Yeah, like, really. Yeah, I footy came natural. Of honey to me. sandwiches. Yeah, footy yeah. <laughs> came natural to me more, but. I enjoyed the pressure. I got to really enjoy the pressure of the game day, the big yeah. games. Um, I enjoyed my teammates telling me they needed me in certain moments, in certain games. We need you, Sean. I enjoyed that pressure mm. and I really look forward to it, to be honest, because I thought that was, um, in a way, at the time, I think, well, how big of a um, pat on the back is that from your mm. teammates telling you they need you in this type of situation? Um so the, the pressure of game day is quite big, and you know before the games, you see some players go on the toilet every, you know, two or three minutes. Yeah. Nerves. Every, every now and again, a player will have a vomit, or yeah, wow. some players shake, some players get red. But just the nervous of going out and executing on a, I go to life. I'll Being in front of life. all those people. Yeah. And, so yeah, yeah the, the pressure message, is big to perform, huge, and yeah. then I think that's also when you speak with your line coaches and assistant coaches and sports psych as well. Well, not only want to be a player, I want to be a good player. I want to be a great player. Yeah, you know, like I want to cement my spot in this team. Well, that's right? consistency. Yeah. That's performance. You know, every week and then every training session, every week. You know, all those things that all comes together. Yeah, I mean, you would know this better than anyone, right? That just given the fact that you you've played more games <laughs> than most, can complacency creep in? Like you go right and say, "I've made my, I've got my spot in this team." Yeah, it can. Um, you probably see. It across the league when you yeah. see players have made it and then yeah. um, then they just fall away and then yeah. they, you know, out they of the system or they might yeah. fall away for a day or two and then for a day or two, a year or two yeah. and, or a year and then they come back up. It's like, yeah, and then when they're very honest with those conversations, like, yeah, I just haven't replaced it. I didn't work as hard or yeah. um, it's just... I let it get to my head. Yeah, so some players are like that, some players aren't. It's just, I think that's when that separates the... The legends of the game they were mm. consistent over the whole career because they just kept performing. Can money get in the way of of performance? Oh, uh, well, well, at the moment the kids draft these days are going to go big money. Yeah, straight and up, I think. So. Well, you look at someone like and and I don't to throw names out there. He's not playing football anymore. He was number one draft pick. He got traded to the Western Bulldogs for millions of dollars a year, and now he's no longer playing. You yep. know, Tom Boyd using that example. Can there's these expectations that. That the yeah. that you get. I'm, I'm not sure. You players have managers and mm. you know financial advisors, so it, it's an individual basis. That's an individual case where. Well, I, I think from I think my question comes from the point of the view of the view of like that you get this big money at such a young stage, yeah. at such a young age that the pressure is enormous yeah. to to perform. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's kind of like where you sign up, you know, on draft day. Yeah. You sign up. The pressure. You know, the pressure is going to come. You do get. 
you know, rewarded very well financially. The better mm. you play, the longer you play. Mm. It's all part of it. Um, but yeah, it's probably generally something that the, the young kids have to deal with being because they're 21, 22 earning a couple hundred thousand dollars when their mates are still on apprentice wages. Yeah. So it's, it's a big step up. It, it, it's, a, it's a learning. I'm a firm believer that everything works better in stages, right? You, yeah. You know, like you think of a, some stairs. You take yeah. one step at a time and you work your way up. But yeah. some of these young kids going into the AFL system are going from step number one to step number exactly. 10. And it's like it's a tough, it's a tough uh, pill yeah. to swallow sometimes. Yep. No, it is. Uh, moving into um, the diversity and inclusion space, you know, you're, you're obviously a big advocate in the diversity and inclusion space and doing a lot with Indigenous, progr- indigenous programs and, and, and you know, in, in your book you wrote that when you were younger that people would look down on you because of your skin colour. Yeah. Do you, did you, do you find that we've moved a long way in, in the world today um, or are you still... No. Where, where where do you feel we sit in society and, and what football in football in particular? Yeah, it's 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 always going to be there. To be mm. honest, it's hard to change the community and what mm. people believe. And um, but that doesn't mean we have to stop trying. Which mm. is where I, where I sit in that basket to always keep trying yeah. to help improve the community. Um, as a, in a in the football sense, clubs are doing a lot to mm. to you know educate their players, their staff members, and you see. You know, putting out like Sir Doug Nichols round yeah. in the AFL, where are trying to help help educate the the broader footy community. But we're still seeing acts and incidences of, of racial sledging from fans towards players. I mean, inst- we spoke about the social media accounts yeah. on, their, on their Instagram or their, their Twitter accounts. So it's forever going to be there. So how to help continue to educate? There's there's less. Obviously, we had the Taylor Walker incident as a player. Um, a couple like last year, I think it was. Mm. Um, but generally, the playing st- the playing side of things for for players has dropped away from compared to what it was a number of years through the, the work the clubs are doing with education. Yeah. But in terms of um, the, the community, it's one that's going to be forever and for a long time, if not forever. But mm. still, can try and educate and, and try help um, the community. Your um, your wearing of number sixty seven in the in the Sadoq. Uh, Nichols Round, which was obviously the year in which the Indigenous Australians were allowed to vote, which yep. is a um, a brilliant initiative. It, what you know that, that must actually be a proud moment that you're allowed to do that and move away from number nine. <laughs> I know you, you've <laughs> no, it was number. awesome to be um, to be able to change my number um, in recognition of the 50 year anniversary of the referendum yeah. in 1967. I think yeah. it was May 27th. Yeah, much. I think yeah. it was May 27th. Yeah. Um, yeah, something that was great to be a part of. You know, my my parents were, you know, born. I think Dad was born in fifty one, and Mum was born in sixty two or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, to think that they were alive before the actual referendum came in place, and they weren't really considered Australians or humans in the country before that came in. And fifty years isn't that. That's how that's how I look at it. Fifty years is not long ago, but mm-hmm. it's great to be a part of um, celebrating the referendum. And you know, sixty seven. Played Swans in Sydney, got the win as well. Yeah, um, well done. Yeah, no, it was, it was it was a good weekend and great that we can bring awareness to it. And, um, yeah, but yeah, fifty years isn't so long ago, is it? No, it, it doesn't seem like much of it. <laughs> I mean, what would you like to see more of then? You know, if you say, look, society's got yeah. a long way to go and the community's got a long way to go. How, how do we, as a community, get better? Yeah, well, I think everyone's on the 
a lot of people are on the reconciliation path, mm. you know, obviously work, walking together for a better future. Uh, a lot more businesses are coming uh, on that path, having reconciliation action plans, which, you know, holds businesses accountable, but businesses who want to be accountable and businesses who want to make a change, creating job opportunities, you know, mentoring opportunities, um, whether that's, you know, for males or females, but, you know, the way forward is through reconciliation mm. and together you know we've got a there's a long way to go in this country in terms of the, the history of the country and whether it's the right history is taught or not taught um to you know you, you can't change the past but we can always learn from it and we can always yeah. move forward and um but yeah reconciliation to be honest is, is the way is forward the way. together yeah, yeah. You, it was actually quite nice to hear you, you called me when was it Monday or Tuesday? Yeah. And you said you're about to jump on a Zoom call to talk about diversity and inclusion within the football club. That Port were doing some training, you know, obviously with the female yeah. cohort coming in, and it must be yeah. exciting having Aaron come across yeah. uh, to to Port. Um, you know, there, there's a bit of learning that needs to be go that needs to go into um, into the players uh, and the and the staff yeah. as well. In learning that you know people identify in certain different ways and all that is it is it a whole whole new world for the football club now and that you're seeing that this education is coming through because it's really exciting to hear that you guys are doing that yeah that's no, so. great we're gonna have, footy club's gonna be whole now you know mm. women have played a, a huge part in Port Adelaide's history and now they actually can play and be a part of it and not only just watch but they can play and um, yeah the, the club's gone through a cultural change for the for the better because. There was never, there was just never forty players there. Now there yeah, is. Yeah. It might be even. I'm not sure the list sizes. Roughly forty players, yeah. five or six coaches. So yeah. they're coming on board, which is great, and everyone's super excited to have the have the women involved and play, and and then you know how to make them feel comfortable and welcome, you know, as elite athletes for the Port Adelaide Footy Club, and um, the, the clubs yeah, pumped to be a part of the that process and that transition from just all males playing to having females come on board and have their own team and. Yeah, it's an exciting part. Mm. It, I think yeah, it was really, it's actually really nice to hear just purely from an education point of view that the clubs are putting time and effort into into this sort of stuff, which is, you know, yeah. it's a football club, right? Yeah, exactly so, right. You know, there's, there's businesses and organisations doing that all, all, all around the world, but it's, yeah, exciting to hear that. Because I think the fo football and, and sport in general is so public-facing. So if they're leading the way in trying to improve from a diversity and inclusion yeah. point of view, then then hopefully you start seeing the public <laughs> and the community take on some of those lessons and, and, yeah, well, and values. And, and it's number one sport, so you have a big platform. Correct. Yeah. 100%. Family, I wanted, before we sort of round off, um, I want to talk quickly about your family. Like On your book here, you've got football, family, respect. Family, and I just knowing you, family is huge and, and, and critical to you in your life. Um, and you've mentioned, we've talked about Amy. I'm, I was hoping she'd be here. I was going to get her to jump in on the, on the podcast. But um, you obviously, are, are, you know, obviously she's played an instrumental part in your career and in your life over, you know, having four kids and being that sort of, I guess, rock to, so that you could concentrate on on you know your passion and, and love and and you know like you said before she put her her career <laughs> and, and on essentially not life but her career on hold what what um how did this how does the 
I think what's really interesting for me is is the the strength in the relationship there. Uh, There is um, there is actually some really good behaviors that you see coming out of you two both, right? And uh, you know, kind of look up to you both in a way that Amy has that ability to um, really, I guess, give of herself. Like as you said to you said to you said earlier and we talked about earlier how you have to give back yeah so that you guys have, seem to have this really great yin and yang <laughs> yeah. moving on is there is there some success in in this relationship that you can share because it, it seems to be working really well um you know obviously all relations yeah. have their ups and downs <laughs> we get that but yeah it just seems that you have you both have this sort of really nice fit at the moment yeah that was um you know well my success is her success and it's not possible without her to be honest mm. any of my f- footy success um you know we're in melbourne and you know people say oh footy players have got nannies and do all this stuff and we yeah. don't have no nanny we yeah. don't have any of that stuff it's we moved to melbourne had a couple of cousins playing for a couple of different afl teams and that was it we didn't know really anyone else mm. so you know we had to rely each, on each other when we first went there which was a great thing and um yeah she's she's done it done it all in melbourne w- with me and um yeah she's yeah, done it really, really well. Like, you know, when we get sick, well, I get, I get sick, she's going to look after me and the four kids in Melbourne. Yeah. We had really no support, to be honest, because it was just us. Um, and then, you know, when she gets sick, I'll have to obviously take some time off training and help. Um, and then you just kind of grow. And we, we went over there with two kids and we came back with four. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's all part of the journey, part of the, yeah, the experience. But none of my footy success is possible without her, to be honest. Do you, do you, take into consideration like your desire for feedback and your ability to communicate and also give feedback and do you, does that help the relationship um well it's a bit different yeah <laughs> oh, no, no doubt it is definitely different but it's like, a lot different but oh yeah i think it, it, it definitely helps well when you've got my free schedule and then you've got four kids in melbourne and they've got football netball basketball athletics you know um or after school, before school, excursions. So you got to communicate that yeah, in my program yeah, to try yeah. and help. And then so communication's clear, clear yeah. critical. Sorry, yeah, if I can get, communicate that with the club, I'm under the pump. Can I leave training early because I've got to help out with this? Or you know, can I get back early from a game because I've got these things going on? Mm. The communication skills needs to be on point. Otherwise, I just leave Amy by herself doing everything, and yeah, you know, that's not how I want to do things. I want to help as much as I possibly can. So you four beautiful kids, um, Kai, Perse, Percy, Lenny, and Nixie. Nixie uh, is is the terrier that you explain. <laughs> I, I love it a bit. But when you had kids, did that make you more hungry? Like, did it create more hunger, fire in the belly for you, or did it take away from your desire to play football and having know, more kids? Yeah. No, well, I think like because it's there's, there's, exciting. It, no. Yeah. I, Love the fact they come to games, they yeah. watch games, they scream. Um, <laughs> we had kids earlier, so yeah, finally, my, my teammates I played with now only having kids and they're turning 30, 31. Yeah. So, I always wanted to be a young father, mm-hmm. and we, you know, it worked out that way. And you know, the last probably Nixie's sick, so I think she, I think Nixie was born the week before the AFL grand final in 2013, or there might have been Lenny. One of the girls. Yeah, yeah. I have to look at the other Amy, but one of the girls were born the week before the A4 Grand Final, and you know 
we got some Hawthorne clothes off a builder bear. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how small she was. Put on, she was at a grand final. That's within, hilarious. Within five days after being born. So they've been at the footy their whole lives and then they've grown up watching me play footy and scream and barrack and, and, and jump in the car after a game and they give yeah. me feedback. Talk about feedback. They're brutal. <laughs> Straight after a game, jump in the car and you're all busted up and playing the game. And they <laughs> and tell you what they that. exactly think. Why'd you do this or why did you do that? Um, and it's just part of coming to the game. That's so know? good. That's so good that they show the interest in... Yeah, they, they in love coming to the game. Yeah. It made it more exciting because I saw the look on their faces like, oh, well, I'm going to keep playing as long as I can to keep having building, keep having building these memories with them. Yeah. So then one day they'll tell their kids, oh, I should take, I should get the footy when I was a kid. You know, yeah. Like they pass on those stories. There's... um. There's a bit of uh, there's a bit of pressure on the two your two eldest to uh, become great footballers as well, right? <laughs> Not that you're putting that pressure on them, but the world would would look at look at them and go, uh, well, he's one of the AFL grades. He's got two two young lads, and obviously Lenny and, and Nixie, if they decide to get into football as well, um, they can with the with the female uh, with the the WAFL. Yeah. Um, can uh, if if they had a choice, if you know. If, Say all things and all the environments went in the right direction. Would you prefer them play for Hawthorne or, <laughs> or Port? Uh, if, if they're good <laughs> enough to play for, I don't care. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't care. Not, not too bothered I'm about not the father son. Nah, not too bothered no. at all. If it's a long, it's hard enough to get drafted. Um, if they're good enough to play, they they can play for anyone. Brilliant. What's it like being outside of the AFL system now? Yeah, it's a lot different. The mental release I've had since I've stopped playing is huge. Yeah. So um, yeah, like. I don't have to prepare anymore. I've got to, my body's not feeling as sore as it always, always yeah. is. Um, is there yeah. an element of you're always you're just always living in pain? Yeah, when you're playing footy, yeah. to be honest. My last probably five or six years, I was probably sore most days of my life. Um, How do you get yourself up every day? Oh, it's, yeah, it's just you just deal with it, to be honest. Mm. You know, you're going to be sore. Gives you something to do to go to the club and do. <laughs> Gives get, you something to, to do. do. <laughs> when you're at the club, you know, do some get some in the pool, physios, yeah. Pilates, massage, um, yoga, uh, acupuncture, cupping. Uh, how, how, important st- how important is stretching and yoga in in the preparation? Like, the- yeah, well, I've, I've, I've been doing Pilates since my first year at Port Adelaide, 2001. Yeah. So 21 years of doing Pilates. Is it something you did every day, like just to stay nimble uh, and, and yoga? Well, the so proper yoga sessions probably once a week, mm. like a proper sit down and, yeah. and and do a proper yoga session yeah. once a week. But stretching every day, mm. um, more neural stretches, stretching you know neural stretches. Um, no, explain that. What's that? Oh, uh, you know, just when you you know your, your lower back, when you're in oh, your nerves, yeah. you're like your nerves, nervous yeah, system, yeah, yeah. trying to stretch in those type of um, stretches. Um, yeah. Wow. I just every day is dedicated to getting your body better. Like I oh, yeah, I, I never knew how important stretching was to, until I got older. Like, my, like yeah. I literally feel like all I'm doing is stretching all the time because yeah. every day I get out of bed and I can hardly walk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even doing anything. No, all no. I'm doing is running around the block. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so we did touch on your sister-in-law quickly, Erin, uh, back at the club now. Uh, at Port Adelaide, you know, does it does it feel like a big family affair for you yeah. guys now? That uh, yeah, well, yeah, she's excited to be back. I haven't seen her because well, at the moment the girls come in after when we when we leave. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but I watch it, I watch it, um, you know, on the TV at the moment. But when they start playing, my, my girls want to go to every game, and Kyle and Percy actually really want to support Annie Aaron too. So yeah. we had all the AFLW games here. Every AFLW game that was in Melbourne and um, Aaron played, we'd go watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll be big supporters. 
How does one family have two of the most successful people? <laughs> like you think about one, you know, Sean Burgoyne and the amount of games and success that you've had in premierships, and then you've got Aaron, who in her own right has won three yeah. premierships. With, no, I'm with not him. sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Aaron was always going to be successful in whatever yeah. sport she chose. She I played footy game. against her <laughs> yeah. in, in under thirteens at West Lakes. She played in the in the young boys competition and she dominated. Yep. Right, yep. I beat her in the best of, <laughs> in the best of Ferris, but uh, no, nah. she's nah. she's an absolute superstar. She is. And then basketball and everything, obviously, went over there too. How do you find being on TV every weekend? Yeah, it's different now. I never thought I'd go down the media path. To yeah. be honest, it's 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 a different set of nerves. You got to ex- execute a different set of things compared to playing. But yeah. yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's going okay. They keep asking me back every. Couple of weeks. That's so a good sign. Not stuffing up too much, <laughs> but no, yeah, it's 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 enjoyable. You said to me before that um, off off air that you had no prep; they just kind of threw you in there. That, that, that's amazing that because you are actually providing some really tremendous value. Like when you when you do make your comment, you kind of you think about it and go, "Actually, I, I didn't think of it yeah. from that point of like, view." Is it is it a tough gig? You said you got to make a comment in six or seven seconds. It would be really tough to do that. It is. I think they give you some general feedback. Well, this is before you go on. Well, this is how we like it to go. We give you feedback as you go along. It's live. Don't forget. So yeah, um, no swearing, please. Yeah, no swearing, and, and just remember, <laughs> don't touch the microphone button when you don't want it because it'll come on. You know, just little yeah, tips there and there. Yeah. But you just kind of just sit back for a bit and watch and just jump in when you need to. And then before you know it, you got your first game out of the way, and then you review it and then you get ready for your second and but yeah it's 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 something being being on the boundary how do they know that you're about to say something or vice versa it's like how does it just it's always done there's a system to it there is a system there is a system to when you learn it so when you know the ball goes out of bounds or you know like a stoppage yeah you can jump in here because the the actual play-by-play calling by bt and brayshaw and the other guys yeah so hard to do. Oh, Those guys have genuinely got a lot of talent to be able to do that. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, but yeah, there's a system to it. You, you talk through that before in you know, yeah, okay. production meetings and stuff. So ball goes out of bounds, we should expect to hear Sean, <laughs> Sean Bluegoin's voice. Is that? Is maybe. That, is maybe. That? <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a good – and they're really good people and they help you along the way as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. What's the f- next five, ten years look like for you? I'm not sure to be honest. Mm. <laughs> I haven't thought that far. Yeah. So just relocated back here. Kids are in school, sport. I'm doing obviously Channel Seven stuff. I'm doing some Triple M stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm not doing Seven. I'm doing Triple M games as yeah. well. Um, started my own cleaning business. That's fairly busy. Yeah. Um, and then I'm trying to do some appearance stuff as well. So I saw you on the property council stuff the other day. Was that yeah. Correct? I went yeah. to the property, um, the property council breakfast reconciliation breakfast. Yeah, great. So. You know, there's a group of business there who are on the reconciliation path as yeah, well, which was yeah. really good to see. I know Daniel Gannon, where he's been on the show. He's yep. a property council uh, executive yeah, so director. Yeah, trying to fit all that in. So at some stage, things will quieten down. I'm not too sure when that'll be, though. Well, it seems like it's picking up. It is. It's, it seems <laughs> like the world, the world is... Well, you're, I'm working, you're, for, working four or five jobs now compared yeah, to one. Yeah, it's so strange. But, I mean, you obviously in high demand so kudos for all that you're doing no yeah it's it's, it's busy i'm falling asleep very easy at night that's why <laughs> that's why we're, we've been having a few drinks of late oh we haven't actually had anything lately but uh no we will we'll we will but more. no it, it is enjoyable to have a beer at the end of the night or a wine or something just to actually relax a bit yeah <laughs> no doubt all right we're going to round off with some quick fire questions yep now you're an author so you can basically give your book a plug here, but what are you reading right now? And do, I mean, do you uh, read much? Or no, do you, I actually no, don't really yeah. read much at all. Yeah. Um, um, I, w- I want to read um, 
I want to read more, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I just, but I just actually don't actually physically have the time. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't, like, I go to work. I normally finish work. I'm a bit very busy at work. Then I speed home to get here. By the time I'm here, I'm normally here for five or six minutes. Yeah. And then the kid jumps in the car, take it to the training, come back. And then it's like, oh, start helping with tea. And then, yeah. Who's got time? Another kid's got to go to another training and get back and then all of a sudden it's well then they have dinner and then it's all right it's i'm i'm pooped i'm going to kids bed. you got a bath shower get yeah. your school clothes ready so get the school clothes ready the night before start getting their bags ready and then oh it's 9 30 quarter 10 it's like well, i'm going to bed yeah and then you repeat and then you repeat rinse repeat and rinse repeat weekends come and then it's all the kids have got sport and they have to be in different parts of the or could be traveling interstate yeah um if you want to read so, more, try Audible. Have you heard of Audible before? It's like audio books. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just jump on Audible. Yeah, so actually, wanna... I'm actually trying to find time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know when I, I – is when I'm um, when I'm waiting for something or yeah. I'm going for a walk or a run yeah. or I'm in the car driving, I just yeah. chuck it on. Listen yeah. That. That's the only time. Yeah. Okay. Firm believer that you always have to work on, on your knowledge yeah. and your okay. improvement. Do you listen to podcasts or anything? If you, I know you said well, – well, yeah. Just, no time. Just yeah. no time. To be honest. <laughs> other no. than other than this one, obviously. Other than this one, yeah. Synergy <laughs> IQ. <laughs> but yeah, like it's, yeah, some people say they're busy, but yeah, look, if I had for some free time, I'd really like to be able to do that. Stuff, yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, I think I've always stuck. There's this mentality that I've always had, and I, I'm not suggesting in, in any way, shape, or form that you're not busy. But what I, I think what I've always I've always had in my head that out there somewhere. There is someone who's busier than me who's reading a book or going for a run, or there's yeah. there's always someone that's busier yeah. who's well, doing more. Even like. the last couple of nights, we were like, let's go for a walk. And me and Amy have gone for a walk. It's been 8 30 at night. Yeah. Let's go for a walk. So we'll go for a walk for a half an hour walk. Yeah. Um, Just to get out. And that's, get the, and, that's, and it was raining and it was freezing <laughs> and like down the beach there. Yeah. But we're like, if we don't do it now, when are we going to get time to go for a walk? So, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, what's one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? Uh, for me, uh, it, probably the, the putting faith and trust in others, relying on mm. others, like everything we touched on a little bit before. But yeah. I, I thought I could get to a certain point in my career by myself, and then you can't don't it just hits yeah. just hits you. You actually need to trust and put faith into others, and especially when I had my knee surgery, I needed to do that. Yeah, um, because they are the experts in their field in medical the medical side of things. Yeah. So. Yeah, putting trust and faith in others, knowing you can't do it yourself. Yeah, I love that. I think I'm going through the exact same <laughs> scenario. Uh, if you could have three people for dinner, dinner, who would they be? Really interesting one. Yeah, I thought you sent me through these questions. I would think about. It. I thought about who would it be. Um, I always thought it'd be cool to have, you know, dinner with, um, like Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like obviously, growing up as a kid, yeah. I was either I was a Chicago Bulls fan. Yeah, weren't we all? Yeah, like Bulls <laughs> or Magic Johnson. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I thought it'd be always cool to, to catch up and have dinner with him. To see yeah, pick his brain. Um, I, I, I really like acting. So Denzel Washington's one of my favorite actors. Oh, superstar. To have a, um, Remember the Titans, one of the yeah. best movies. And probably, and probably, you know, probably Barack Obama. Oh yeah. Like, you know, to brilliant. Probably to see, pick his brain about the world, how he sees it. You know, he would know some stuff. He would know some stuff exactly right. So, yeah, uh, awesome. aliens real. No, they're probably the three that come to the top of my mind. Yeah, like, I don't really want to. Th- I, 
you don't really if you get a chance to meet three people, you probably don't want to stick with your own. No, I correct. No, I football agree. Football or sport, but no. Jordan's been probably my idol since. Well, if you have him around for dinner, I'm getting, I'm <laughs> going to invite I'm going to get invite myself over. Um, if well, what's some of the best advice that you've ever received? Me, um, oh, just the, the advice I've been growing up as a kid. You know, stay humble. You know, mm. respect others, treat others the way you want to be be treated. Mm. Um, you know, be humble. Whether you have success in your life, or you know, especially, well, it's probably especially if you have success, is you know, there's people doing it worse off than you, mm. um, who could use a help, um, helping hand. So, probably, yeah, that's probably the couple there. Yeah, I love that. If you had access to a time machine, where would you go? Well, probably, in all honesty, I'd probably go back to the dinosaurs. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yes, yeah, to see what it was like. Well, um, yeah. that seems like a pretty interesting time it would um, be yeah just to see what the earth looked like um animals like you know yeah my, and my, my kids are going through that, that phase with, yep. with school work and stuff like fossils and my youngest daughter talks about dinosaurs we went to watch jurassic park at the movies actually oh, just recently is it good loved it yeah kids loved it. Um, i love the jurassic yeah park so probably yeah, probably been the dinosaur era beautiful if your house is on fire yeah and <laughs> Your family and pets and everyone was safe. What was what'd be one thing you'd grab? Oh, very. That's a tough one. I'm not sure. Um, Looking around, my two boys would say grab their PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, <laughs> they've got a PlayStation here, so they'd say that. Um, I don't know. Maybe that, like, um, like I've got, we've got some pictures of our family members in the house yeah. that aren't digital. So I'd probably try to grab a picture or two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something like everything that. else is on the something phone. Something sentimental. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everything else is replaceable to be honest. Yeah, Um, I've got I've got one of my great grandmothers, some of my great great grandmothers uh, blankets in the in the Mm. cupboard. So probably now that I think about it, that'll probably be the first thing I'd grab. Yeah, I'd grab that blanket. Um, So my great my grandmother's. Yeah. Well, it's good that I brought that question up. I've got to actually find Amy's. I've got to find Amy's. Put that. Yes. Yes. Keep it. That would be the number one thing I'd grab. Yeah. Everything else can burn. Absolutely. If you had one superhero power or could have one superhero yeah, power, what I, would you? I'd like to be able to fly. Yeah. Flying's pretty cool. It would yeah. be. To be free. And yeah. <laughs> I know there's always birds in the backyard and they fly away. So, <laughs> um, that yeah, that, that sounds like a, like, like a good thing to have. Yeah. It's pretty uh, pretty blank now. <laughs> uh, now, one, my, my favourite question, what's your best dad joke? I don't really have one. I need oh. Percy here. Oh. Oh, my middle son. He reads dad joke books and he comes up with them all, jokes all the time. I don't know. He bought, he bought this book for like $3 somewhere, $4. And it's just for the dad jokes. It's dad jokes. And he read, oh. he's read it over and over and over and he's got them all in his head. And he just punches them out all the time. I could, um, I could sit for an hour with Percy. And he sits them joke. and tells them to me. <laughs> oh. And you don't remember any? No, not on top of my head. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing better than a good dad joke. Look, thank you very much for your time today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for agreeing to come on. No, no worries. Thank you for having me. And thanks for uh, thanks for all that you've done and, and all that you are doing and all that you're going to do, I guess, in, in the world of bringing awareness and um, obviously um, you're an inspiration to many. So, uh, I mean, kudos for your career and, <laughs> no. and, and everything that you guys are doing. No, thanks. I really enjoyed it.
Thanks, guys. We'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care, guys. All the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump onto the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.